Today's show is sponsored by Talkspace, the online therapy company. For a fraction of the price of traditional therapy, you can pick an experienced, licensed therapist you relate to and feel comfortable with. Each and every therapist has at least a master's degree and has completed over 3,000 hours of supervised work. To match with your perfect therapist, go to Talkspace.com forward slash boom. And to show your support for this podcast, use code boom to get $30 off your first month. That's boom. Talkspace.com slash boom. B-O-O-M. Hi, guys. You are Locked on Falcons, and I'm one of your hosts, Aaron Freeman. I'll be joined shortly by my co-host, Alan Sterk. Today's episode is sponsored by SeatGeek and BetDSI.com. We'll be previewing the upcoming Week 14 matchup between the Falcons and the Los Angeles Rams. We're inviting a pair of guests on who can provide some insight into the 4-8 and eight Rams. Uh, the first one up is Frank, the WWE clown. He'll be followed by John Canton, who is the editor of TJRWrestling.net. Both of these guys are probably more famously known for their wrestling insights, but they're lifelong Rams fans and can provide a lot of insights into the team. We'll also be talking a little bit about Robert Alford's new contract extension. So stay locked. You are locked on Falcons, your daily podcast on the Atlanta Falcons, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to find tickets for football games that you want to see up close in person this season. There's nothing like being in the stadium for the biggest plays, and with SeatGeek, it's never been easier to get those guaranteed seats you want for great value. I have the SeatGeek app on my phone, and it's by far the easiest way I've found to shop for tickets. I can be anywhere, and with just a few taps, I can instantly find seats for this weekend or any game this season. Earlier today, I was eyeballing some tickets for a Pitt-UNC basketball game at the end of January. I know that with SeatGeek, I'll always get the best deal on every ticket because SeatGeek price compares by searching multiple ticket sites. Prices definitely vary depending on where you shop, but SeatGeek will always find the lowest price available. SeatGeek also wants to help you get the most bang for your buck. That's why every ticket on SeatGeek is given a grade based on value. You'll immediately see any underpriced seats and be able to find the best deals that fit your budget. Plus, every ticket on SeatGeek is backed by their 100% guarantee, so you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. Best of all, our listeners get a $20 rebate off their first SeatGeek purchase. To get your $20 rebate, download the SeatGeek app, go to the settings tab, and click add a promo code. Enter the promo code LOFALCONS. That's L-O-F-A-L-C-O-N-S. SeatGeek will send you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase. Don't forget to download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code LOFALCONS today. All right, Alan. Let's start things off talking about this Robert Alford contract extension. Surprising news today uh, that the Falcons decided to extend Alford. I know I have been basically banging the table for the last 18 months since we had the B team, the infamous B team episode that you did not appear on in the off season in 2015, that Robert Alford would probably not be a Falcon in 2017. But uh, clearly I was wrong. Well, I think a lot of people are wrong, so don't feel so special. Okay. So, yeah, it was very surprising, though, given that there's obviously been rumblings. Well, maybe not within the organization or within sources, but just how the landscape is going in Atlanta, given that defensive lines looked in shambles for the majority of the season, and given that Desmond Trufant is most likely going to be paid handsomely, so the fact that Alford got re-signed. It's an interesting move. Look, it's hard to be against signing or re-signing a good player, because obviously we've been pro-offered from the beginning. You just have to wonder where their priorities lie. Obviously, I don't think they're going to go away from true front. I think they're going to make it a priority to re-sign him. But they have a lot invested into the cornerback position. But 
they're not the only team. I know everyone wants to talk about the Seattle model, but you could say that maybe Atlanta's going to try to follow the Denver model. Obviously, they have Talib and Chris Harris, who are paid quite handsomely, and then you have Bradley Roby, who I don't know if he's going to be a free agent this season, but probably the following season, because I assume his rookie deal has to be up soon. Yeah, but I think because he was a first-round pick, they get the fifth-year option, so... I think he's probably got at least another two years left on his oh, okay. contract before they have to pay him. Point being, I think Denver invested quite heavily into their cores. Now, obviously, comparing Denver and Atlanta is not possible given the <laughs> differences in their front seven. And obviously, Denver's defense playing at a unbelievable level still. So, who knows what the dichotomy was behind this move? But maybe Atlanta's just trying to find that stability at the corner position. I know some are worried about Jalen Collins' status, but I don't know, maybe they have a long-term option. I know, Aaron, you want to get into potential free safety options within the cornerback group? Um, yeah, yeah. I think, um, you know, I, I think you, you said a lot there first. You know, I think I think it's interesting. You look at Robert Alford's deal. Uh, it was a four-year, $38 million extension with $21 million guaranteed, according to, you know, the Ian Rappaport's and Adam Schefter's of the world, so probably – pretty accurate that's pretty much the same exact deal that the Raiders gave to Sean Smith this past offseason he got about 15 million guaranteed at signing but then there was another 5 million that sort of kicks in next season so it's really 20 million Um, and so it's interesting because you know I would more compare it to sort of the Raiders model because they they just gave Amerson an extension they paid all that money for Sean Smith and, and interesting enough the Falcons and Raiders are both trying to borrow a page from the Seahawks who sort of famously did not fork up the cash to, to pay Byron Maxwell last off se- or two off seasons ago. And, um, it's interesting that two sort of teams that are derivative of the Seahawks have decided to not sort of copy their style by, uh, going cheap at the other cornerback position. Um, you know, I think in terms of Jalen Collins potential, I don't think this move should have that much of an impact on it. Um, I, I do think probably more than likely Robert Alford's contract is going to be structured in a way that the Falcons can get out of it in two years when he'll be like 31 years old. Um, so, and that's going to be at the same time where Jalen Collins' contract expires. So if Jalen Collins is plays at a, a high enough level over the next two seasons that he merits himself getting a long-term extension, then I don't see how the, you know, this contract shouldn't prohibit the Falcons from basically dumping out, saving some money, dumping Alfred and giving that money to Jalen Collins from that point moving forward. But uh, as for, you know, corners moving the safety, I I do think there's much more plausibility of of maybe we'll get to see Brian Poole play some safety next year. He did. People forget that he did play some safety on the third string this preseason. Um, after behind Robinson Therese and behind uh, Ricardo Allen. And I think if, if Alfred Collins and, and Trufon are entrenched as the three main cornerbacks going into 2017, which is feasible, um, then, you know, maybe pool will kick over and, and compete and push everybody's favorite Falcon safety, Ricardo Allen. I don't want to compare Brian Poole to Robert McLean because I think Poole has more upside, but I do remember in 2012 when McLean has loan, productive season I was not annoyed but I was a little questioned by the whole process behind drafting Desmond Trufant Robert Alford because obviously they had Asante Samuel I thought they were going to re-sign Brent Grimes but that's a whole other discussion 
And it, I was just wondering, I was like, oh, what are they going to do with McLean now? Because you have obviously Asante, and then you have Desmond Trufant, and then obviously Alford's a second round pick. At some point, they're going to have to use him. And then, what do you know, Asante retires the following year or just drifts out of the league, I guess we could say. So I guess we just have to wait and see what Collins and Poole and what, it, what uh, their careers turn out to be. Look, as we've seen with the Packers, you can't have too many cornerbacks. I'm sure every Packer fan is outraged at Casey Hayward went to San Diego, so more cores the better. Yeah, uh, yeah, I think the McLean comparison between Brian Poole is pretty spot on, honestly. I, you know, I don't really quite buy that Poole has more upside than McLean. Uh, you know, maybe Poole winds up maintaining playing at a, a as a, a you know as a competent nickel for longer than McLean who basically had that one good season and then sort of sporadically had a couple of good games thereafter for over the next two years uh so maybe Poole doesn't fall into that same fate but I do think their games are so similar that it's you know sort of expecting Brian Poole I don't you know really know if Brian Poole's going to get that much better as a cornerback as he's been this season I, I just don't sort of see Contrary to other people's opinion, I don't see the upside at cornerback. I don't think he's a great man corner. I think he's more of his own guy, and I think he's you know been exposed at times playing man coverage against faster slot receivers that he'll probably see quite a bit of um, in the coming years. Well, I do think he has more with his speed than McLean. But McLean was relatively slow at the pulls, better on those vertical routes, so, and I think he has better ball skills than McLean. So. Yeah, I agree. Maybe it's not a big contrast, but I do think Paul offers more table. I just think comparing the situations, both undrafted players and both had good first seasons. Then they you had a question there, positioning following a couple of transactions, so who knows. But, hey, this move with Schrader leaves a few less questions going into the offseason, which yeah. I, I guess is a good thing. Is now Patrick DeMarco and Kamal Ishmael the, the top two guys to resign? Wow, yeah. Man, Jacob Tammy, if you want to throw, or the great legend Toy Lolo in there. I don't I don't know how, you know, I don't know how. I love, how, I love how Toy Lolo has become like a cult hero for you. <laughs> I think to see him only, catch those vertical routes, just so mesmerizing. It only took four years, you know. He just had to stay stay loyal. That's yeah. the dream. So, yeah, we'll see what happens all for. I guess we could leave it there. And now I guess all the attention is going to go into the defensive line. Yeah, and 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 because I didn't explicitly say so, I, I I'm I'm good with the move. You know, I was surprised that the Falcons would pay that much money for the cornerback position, but uh, I I don't think it's a bad move by any means. Yeah, you like it because it's obviously good for a team, but it'll piss off some of the delusional <laughs> fans of this. <laughs> Oh, I can't wait for Alfred to get flagged this weekend or, or next weekend or whatever it happens the next one. And people but whenever he covers Calvin Benjamin, you know, people tweeting thirty eight million dollars. My butt. All right, folks, we have with us Frank the Clown. You've seen him on WWE. He's got the clown makeup and he's he's, he's at a, pretty much all the pay-per-views. Right, Frank? Yes, it seems like that. I'm not. I wouldn't say I'm at all of them, but the illusion of Frank the Clown. Uh, <laughs> people think that I'm at every single one, and that works for me. So, yeah, I'm at every one then. Okay. And he's also a big LA Rams fan. Yeah, unfortunately. Before we get to the game, I do want to ask you, since I know you're at the Georgia Dome for WrestleMania, I want to say it's 27, yeah. 
Seven or eight? I, f- I always get the numbers mixed up. But uh, they, 27, yeah. Okay, yeah. The, not a very good one, but nevertheless. Yeah. How was the Georgia Dome? Did you enjoy it? I did, I did. And actually, I went to a Falcons home game uh, last year against the Colts. It was before Survivor Series in Atlanta. So we got, like, real cheap. T- I, think, I want to say it was, like, what? It was around this time. So Survivor Series, it was, like, week 12. Yeah. And uh, we got cheap tickets on StubHub like a couple hours before, and it was it's a I I enjoy like the, I'm see the thing is I went to a lot of games at the Edward Jones Dome in St Louis, so I compare those two, and the Georgia Dome to me is significantly nicer than Edward Jones Dome. So I know that the Georgia Dome is not going to be the home anymore. I don't know how you guys feel about that, but uh, I mean we had a good time. The crowd was into it, and uh, even for WrestleMania, I mean it was a great crowd sold out packed up with fans so the people definitely show out down there didn't you sit next to d'angelo williams <laughs> at, at that wrestlemania i did that was actually the first time i met him and now we have like a weird quasi friendship for like what seven years now but yeah literally sat next to him and his dad wow that's crazy Aaron, you want to stop this up yeah let's uh let's talk about this upcoming falcons rams game uh so <laughs> I guess Frank uh what, you know how how big a hammer to your soul was it when you heard about the Jeff Fisher extension Oh man so here's my thing I've really been on board with Fisher and Les Snead for years now I just I I really I don't know if I talked myself into it but I wanted to believe in the direction they were going in because they accumulated a lot of talent in a short period of time so I'm like okay well the talent is eventually going to pay off but now, the last probably year and a half or so, it's just been such a worn-out welcome for Fisher specifically. And to reward – now, I know they said like the contract was already signed in the preseason. It didn't leak to like week 13. That's unheard of, first off, in this day and age. It's just such – it was such poor timing. And like I know some people like the L.A. media are still saying that, well, it depends how the season ends up and blah, blah, blah. And he gets a free pass because of the relocation. It's like – it's been five years of losing football. He would have gotten fired from any of the other 31 teams. It, it, no questions asked. If you don't win for five straight years, you're gone. Even three years. Some guys get one year and they're gone. <laughs> so it really it did hurt my soul. He's just he's whole. He's suppressing the team so badly. It's it's just mind numbing to me how they can think it's a good idea to keep him around. Okay. Can't even find his challenge flag. What is this? I, and that's such like a perfect like that was the perfect representation of him. I was sitting there watching him like, of course, dude can't <laughs> find his challenge flag. Like, come on. <laughs> Did the challenge was it successful or no? It, it actually was. Yeah, it was. It was like a blatantly obvious call, but yeah, oh, it was okay. successful. You just see the headline: Jeff Fisher outsmarts Bill Belichick. Right. <laughs> <laughs> But I want to ask about uh, Jared Goff because obviously the offense is pretty conservative. Offense line's a bit yeah. fragile. Uh, what have you made his progression so far? So the talent's clearly there. Uh, he he's got the arm, and what he really shines best at is the like intermediate throws. And the Ram, but the Rams don't throw enough of them. That's the problem. Like they settle for the dump offs. They settle for the two yard Todd Gurley runs. They settle for the Tavon Austin failed bubble screens. Like that's what they do. So I think the key is going forward for him. Like I've liked what I've seen. I knew the Patriots game was going to be a disaster for him. That's that for any rookie quarterback that was going to be tough. 
But he answered the bell in New Orleans with that really good first half, and then they just went into shell-shocked mode when they were getting outscored pretty badly. And even his first game against the Dolphins, he didn't make any mistakes. So really, he's not making any huge mistakes. He's had a couple tips. I think he's thrown three interceptions. I want to say two of them have been tipped. Uh, so not really. They're off like Lance Kendricks' stone hands. But I think the big thing going forward, going to next year, you know, he gets his reps now as much as he can. Then you really got to get him a coordinator that can open up the offense and make him feel more comfortable and play to his strengths. Because right now, it's just such a vanilla offense and the, the offensive line is just awful and there's no running game. There's no threat. So it's not a good situation for him to be in, but just the reps alone are going to help. I thought people were very critical of his debut because playing quarterback at the rain is so problematic. Like you look at Derek yeah. Carr against the Chiefs, uh, which game's about to happen in an hour. Like he, he couldn't move the ball, and Oakland's offense is one of the most talented units in the league. So I thought they were pretty critical of him there. But yeah, and it, it never rains in LA, and I'm like, of course, poor kid gets his first start and it's raining. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm curious, sort of watching the Carson Wentz's of the world and Dak Prescott's get off to the start that they have gotten off to in their careers. And then just sort of watching, waiting for Jared Goff to get his opportunity. Sort of how has that sort of emotional roller coaster? Cause it would seem that you trade up for the number one pick. You're going to get, you know, he's the quarterback of the future and then they put him on the bench and then you have to wait like basically a, more than half a season before you really get an opportunity to see him. Um, right. How does that feel? I don't even, I can't even imagine that. <laughs> so, I mean, going into training camp preseason, it was pretty much a toss of who was going to get the start. And I mean, honestly, Keenum outplayed golf in the preseason. He was more comfortable and I was a hundred percent on board with starting Keenum week one. Uh, and then, and honestly, Keenum didn't play horrible, for the time, for whatever, the nine games, or whatever he played, but he just, it would, you know, he, I went to the Lions game, the Rams and Lions game, I think it was a week eight, and he threw for like 350 yards. It was insane to watch, but he made two huge key mistakes, interceptions at the absolute worst times, and that's what, that's what held him back, and you just never felt like you had a chance to come from behind and win with him behind center. So I was okay with him starting from the start, but then, obviously, the thing is, Wentz would have never played if Teddy Bridgewater didn't get hurt and then Bradford gets traded. And then the same thing with Romo doesn't get hurt, Prescott doesn't play. So the pressure wouldn't have been there. But then once you saw that developing, and Prescott's been awesome. And Wentz has cooled off now uh, in the past couple of weeks. But I mean, to see Case Keenum when he was clearly struggling then midseason and you're still holding off on him, he should Goff should have came in right after the bye it was uh, they were coming home against Carolina, which was a winnable game, and they th- they just tried to keen him out there again, and you know another disaster. And you could have made an argument to start him a couple weeks before that, but uh, you know the deed's done now. We won't see any more of Case Keenum, I hope. And Kate Keenum's a really good backup. Like I would love Case Keenum as my backup, but to watch him for nine ten weeks and know that you're. Just, Hopeful superstar quarterback sitting there on the benches. It was quite frustrating. Yeah, that play against the Giants where they tried running up oh, to quick. God. 
I, I made a few days ago. I said it was like a pop fly. I, the ball was in the air. I did not know when it was coming down, and <laughs> Quick made no effort to break it up. It was just like that's the epitome of the Rams offense. It's funny because I was in California for that game. So that game was in London. I woke up at four thirty in the morning California time. It was on like two hours of sleep, and I was like, "Why did I wake up to watch this crap?" This <laughs> is like girlfriend sleeping she wakes up to me like just cursing out case keenum when he threw like <laughs> he threw an awful double covered pass to tave on austin like a 40 yard downfield oh, bomb and i'm like out of all people you're throwing the into double coverage and it was a like a four it was a one score game it wasn't like this is out of reach this game was very much you had a chance to win and he's bombs it up five foot eight on a good day tave on austin and oh man and then that quick play was just like the insult to injury. And actually, I think two plays prior to that. So on second down, they threw to Mike Thomas, who is a sixth round rookie who has a total of zero catches on the air. They threw to him in the end zone. Uh, with It was in the red zone. They're like on the eight yard line. Then the next play, they threw to Bradley Marquez, who's an undrafted free agent from last year, who has about seven catches on the year. I'm like, that's the Rams. In the biggest times of the game, they're throwing to two schmucks in the red zone. <laughs> and when their season is really on the line, like they were three and three going to that game. Like they walk out four and three, they're feeling good. Oh man. That's going to be frustrating. Cause I think they were three, one, they just beat Arizona. Arizona's being pegged as these yep. Super Bowl contenders. Like they had some momentum behind them. I, I, I'm not sure if anyone's really buying, but when you start three and one, that's a big deal. And that's the thing. Cause the Rams were never, ever, under Jeff Fisher, more than two games over 500 at any point in his tenure. So when we're sitting at three and one, I was drinking the Kool Aid. I was in just because I wasn't used to it. I really fell for it, and I knew at any time the wheels could fall off. But the schedule they had following them beating Arizona on the road was super favorable, and they were, they won three straight. So they won home against Seattle, at Tampa Bay, home against Arizona. Those are three good teams. Or away Arizona. Those are three good teams, and we had. The Bills coming to town, looking to go. We were looking to go four and one. I'm like, okay, that's a winnable game at home. And then we had Detroit on the road, and then the London Giants game. So to me, I was like, oh, we should win two of those three. We should win the home game against the Bills. I think we should. And at the time, the Lions weren't looking good. I'm like, okay, well, the Lions and the London games are weird. So I'll give that to the Giants. We're sitting at five and two in the bye. This is great. And Seattle was still kind of starting slow, and Arizona was starting slow. I'm like, this, we could be onto something. And sure enough, Jeff Fisher <laughs> happened. <laughs> so, so I'm, I'm curious, why do you think the wheels sort of fell off? Is it the coaching? Is it the quarterback play? Is it just the talent that hit its ceiling? Or um, <sighs> is there anything that you sort of look at that says, you know, if we, if this hadn't happened, or if these things hadn't happened, we'd we'd be that five and two team. Or, or and certainly better at this point in the season um, right now. Right. Yeah, it, it's tough to pinpoint on one thing. The Rams are like my golf game. Like all three phases are never working at once. <laughs> so it's like the Lions game. Okay, they, they, they get about 400 yards total offense. They score 31 points and they lose. And the defense plays awful. And then the week after, they held the Giants to 14 points or whatever. But they held the Seahawks to three points. And they held the Cardinals to 10 or 13 points. But then against the Lions, we go 34 when we score when we score 31. So it's one of those things where if the defense is playing well, the offense is playing awful, and if the offense is playing well, which is far more rare, 
The defense playing awful. The one thing you count on is Johnny Hecker, <laughs> the special teams. Oh, yeah. He is a thrill to watch. He really is. Like, I get excited to watch him punt because I know we're going to punt and we're going to punt often. So I'm like, oh, Johnny, we're going to get that field position, though. That's I got, I got to look forward to that. But, uh, yeah, I can't. I feel like it's the coaching. I think it's the play calling on offense because it's like Gurley run up. And I, I respect that they try to get the run going with Gurley. I get it. That's what they should do, but it's week thirteen, like or week it's week fourteen. It, it's done. It's not going to happen. So mid season, they should have made some adjustments. And it just to me, I always sit there on my couch and I'm like, what the hell does this team practice? Because they're doing the same thing every week. They know what what doesn't work, and they continue to try to do it over and over. And there's just no creativity in offense. The defense takes a lot of risks, a lot of unnecessary risks, and there was a couple injuries too. Robert Quinn is out for a few games. Michael Brockers is out for a few games. Trumaine Johnson is out for a few games, and those are big blows, especially uh, Trumaine Johnson on the on the outside, our best cover corner. It, we had Troy Hill in there, who was an undrafted rookie, and they they're really picking on him in those games. So those the, the injuries, the play calling, and just the stubbornness of the coaching staff, I think, are the, the really the main reasons. Yeah, when I saw T. Hill, I, I thought Ty Hill returned oh, to the league. I was like, wait, he's going to come back? What? I have a Ty Hill jersey, I swear to God. Wow. I swear. I bought one like whenever they got drafted in 06, and he had like four or five interceptions rookie year. I was like, oh, yes, we got ourselves a keeper. And he was gone in like two years. You played for the Falcons for what, seven games, Aaron? Yeah. And Steve Smith seven. ate his alive. Horrible games. <laughs> <laughs> he had like burner speed. Like he ran like a four two eight at like the combine, and I was in love with him. But he was just, just god awful. Yeah, one of the more underrated storylines here. It's not getting enough recognition, but man, I've been really enjoying Kenny Britt's emergence. What do you yeah. think? Yeah, he's been he's been the best offensive player for us by far. Him and Aaron Donald, I would say, are the two best players on the team this year so far. He's the thing is, we've just desperately needed. The Rams haven't had a thousand yard receiver since I want to say I could be wrong, but two thousand six, uh, one of Tory Holtz last year's, and we don't. I don't think we've had anybody over seven hundred fifty yards since then. So it's, he's really been a nice surprise. And the thing is with Kenny is the talent's always been there. He was a first round pick. He's had big years in Tennessee, and but he was always had the off the field issues, and he was a little injury prone, and it just seemed like that he got lazy sometimes. And really, he's the leader of the offense, I would say, and very vocal, very passionate. You can see him on the sidelines. He's always really into it, and he's just he's a big, physical, fast receiver. He's exactly what you would want, and uh, he's he's been super consistent all year. Like, every week, you know he's going to get a ton of targets. He's got five or six touchdowns, which is, for a Rams receiver, is unheard of. And uh, he's without him, I don't know how we'd even – I don't know how they move the ball into the opponent's territory at all. The, they do it very little, but I mean, he's been he's been awesome, no doubt about it. And so I'm hoping he comes back. I think he's got a player option, but he'll get paid either way, and he deserves it. Yeah, it seems like Tavon Austin's contract should go to Kenny Britt. <laughs> it's true, and I was okay with the Tavon contract at the time because people underrated him a little bit last year. He accounted for. Over right around a thousand total yards receiving and rushing and ten touchdowns, and that's a very limited club. I think you know only a handful of players get a thousand yards and ten touchdowns. So just because he's not your prototypical like receiver, but this year 
again, it's the play calling where they haven't gotten him involved. Some games, one game a couple weeks ago, he had 18 targets or something, but he had like nine catches for 60 yards. So he just says right there, they're just throwing him the ball five yards and just hoping he does something with it. It's just last year they got him out on more reverses and they were working and the screens are working better. But yeah, the money that they're paying him really could go towards something else. And it, they didn't need to give him that big of an extension at the time. They could have let him prove it one more year, but it is what it is. Now, I'm curious, what are your thoughts going into this week's game uh, with the Falcons? Now, the Falcons are pretty beat up. I don't know yeah. if you're you're up to date on their injuries, but it, it doesn't look good for Julio Jones playing this week. It doesn't look good for Mohamed Sanu. Their left tackle, Jake Matthews, is probably going to be out. Uh, and this might be a week that Robert Quinn is expected to come back. So I, yeah. I'm, I'm certainly Matt Ryan's not looking forward to that. Um, do you feel like the, the, the Rams defense with the beat up Falcons offense, which is the number one scoring offense in the league, but the Rams have the defense to sort of keep this a low scoring game and, and allow uh, Goff and Gurley and Britt and Austin to, you know, to have an opportunity to sort of win one of these low scoring defensive battles. Yeah. Like I, I was just messaging Alan last night and I, we were saying it could be one of those weird seven and nine Rams games uh, where it, it kind of screams trap game a little bit for the Falcons because the Rams are at home and they're a little bit different of a team at home. I, the record doesn't reflect it, but the crowd, I mean, the crowd still feels, I mean, we'll see on Sunday, but the crowd's still been showing up and uh, it's a pretty raucous place to be. So with the injuries and the thing about the Rams, another frustrating thing is they're the healthiest team in football. They don't have any big starter. They don't have any starters that are out for the year or anything. Not a single starter from week one is out for the year. And still so for the defense, it's the defense is aside from those middle of the year, those those couple weeks, they've had a couple injuries, but it's the defense is at full strength. I think Quinn's getting he just had a uh, he has to clear the concussion protocol. Uh, so they the thing about the Rams, they can get after the quarterback. And especially when you're down some offensive linemen that especially on the left side, Quinn, Aaron Donald. They're going to get to. They're going to hit Ryan. They might not sack him, but they're going to definitely be in his grill all day. With uh, Sanu and Julio, especially Julio being possibly out, the threat of the pass game. You know, I know Gabriel's been emerging for you guys and everything. And I know you got Aldrich Robinson, but none of those guys are going to strike fear into the Rams' hearts. And the Trumaine Johnson, he can normally equalize your best receiver to an extent and then you normally people attack EJ Gaines and Joyner in the slot's been really good all year. So it really if you guys don't establish if the Falcons don't establish the run right off the bat, um the Rams are gonna really get after the pass rush and that could spell a couple turnovers for the Falcons and it could become one of those weird games and I keep waiting for that Todd Gurley like breakout game <laughs> and it hasn't happened yet. I know now, correct me if I'm wrong. I know the Falcons' run defense is a little shoddy. So I'm hoping that maybe this week they can kind of get something together and start to develop the run early. And if the Rams keep it a low-scoring game, they're going to be in the game. But if they go down two scores or something at the beginning and they're playing catch-up, it's done. I think one of the more underrated storylines is Matt Ryan going up against Craig Williams. Obviously, Craig Williams was in New Orleans all those years. Yeah. Fortunately, it didn't end too well, but... I was like, Greg Williams, I would assume, knows a lot about Matt Ryan. He still brings a lot of blitzes, right? <laughs> Too many blitzes, really. It, I, I get it sometimes they're trying to make plays and they're trying to, you know, score some points on defense because the offense can't. 
the points haven't been there on defense. They have one defensive touchdown this year, and the turnovers really haven't. Honestly, the, the sacks and the turnovers haven't been there like they should for the Rams. Like the Rams are getting a ton of heat on the quarterback, but they're not finishing these plays, and uh, it's cost them sometimes. So Williams loves to bring some exotic blitzes on third down, especially and third and long. And third and long, the Rams struggle so bad. I, I just can't tell you how many times it's been third and long and they've given up a huge back-breaking first down. And then it's like, oh, you can just almost feel their spirits leave them after they give up that long third down. It's like, oh, well. Uh, but yeah, as I was saying, the Rams give up so many third and longs constantly. And, I, and once they give up that one third and long, then their backs kind of break and their spirits are a little broken. I'm like, oh, well, they're giving up points on this drive. So if they stay out of that and they don't give up those third and longs and, you know, they bring smart blitzes at opportune times to get to Ryan because the Rams love bringing in LaMarcus Joyner to blitz off the uh, from the corner slot. They, they love bringing in a safety, TJ McDonald and Maurice Alexander, get an extra guy in there. Alec Ogletree, Mark Barron are super, super athletic and super rangy and then get to the quarterback real quick. So, but if Ryan makes those quick decisions and finds – you know, Hooper or whoever in the middle of the field for like a hot route, then you can have some success against the Rams. I saw one play against New Orleans. It just boggled my mind. It was third and 17. They ran an all-out blitz. Breeze finds Ingram on a screen. Yep. He had to get away from one defender. He literally walked into the end zone. Like, how does a third and 17 happen? And, and Ingram just walks into it. I couldn't believe my eyes. There was nobody within sight of him when he caught it. I was like, oh. God, what are they doing? Then that was the play where Fisher and Greg Williams were shown on the sideline, like bickering at each other. It's like on third and 17, what do you expect? Like it's going to be a draw, a screen, or yeah, sure, they're going to take a shot and try to get a first down, but you can, you can play the side, you can, you can play to that, you can play the sticks. But the Rams just chose to, you know, inexplicably bring seven guys and not account for the running back out of the backfield. And Ingram, who's always been known as a good pass catcher, just goes and literally walks into the end zone. <laughs> there was, I mean, the blockers were going down the field, and they had no one to block. <laughs> they were just looking for someone. They really were, like, turning their heads left and right. There was nobody there. So they just – I think Williams gets really blitz-happy sometimes, and he wants to, like, really force himself on the defense, on the offense and be like, look, this is what we're doing. We're going to be physical. We're going to be fast. We're going to put pressure on you. But again, if those quick decisions happen and you call those right plays, the Rams really can get caught for huge yardage. That's interesting that Fisher and Williams are going at because there was a time where it was like a weekly vine of Sean Payton and Rob Ryan just having these shouting matches at each <laughs> other. I wish we saw that with uh, Williams and Fisher. But. Right, it's like dumb and dumber yelling at each other. <laughs> Aaron, you got anything else? Or? Um, no, I mean... I. I guess I gotta ask you how f- I, I went to pit, so uh, I'm a big Aaron Donald fan. Oh it, yeah, is is like he now that Gurley hasn't been doing what he was expected to do. Is Aaron Donald basically the only joy? And and obviously Johnny Hecker, the great Johnny Hecker, <laughs> is Aaron Donald the only joy that you're getting out of this season at this point? Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I love watching. I love. I do love watching when the defense is on. They're really really fun to watch uh but they're not consistently on one of the guys who is is aaron donald to me and i know like pro football focus backs it up and that's not the you know the end all but if you watch the games and because a lot of people don't know who he is still he's a defensive tackle for the los angeles rams like they don't get on national television they they don't get a lot of exposure but when you go and you watch just 
and even the stats don't even lie. I want to say he has five or six sacks for a D tackle. It's very good. But just the impact he has on the game on a snap to snap basis is insane. I, I mean, I'm sure you guys have watched him film and like he just it doesn't matter if you double or even triple team him, he finds a way to get in the backfield. And there's times where he can beat the ball to to the running back when the quarterback's handing it off. Like that's how quick he is off the ball. He's just so got a low center of gravity and he's so quick and the undersized thing works for him and it's just he's special to me. He's to me, he's the best player in the NFL, just on a whole, if you exclude like quarterbacks and everything, like just to me, he's the best defensive player in the NFL, uh, just from his impact. Again, every single snap, he's doing something and it's just week to week. He's awesome. And, you know, Alec Ogletree is a joy to watch. Uh, he flies around the field. Mark Barron's a joy to watch. Uh, even our two safeties in secondary, McDonald and Alexander, Alexander was a fourth round pick. I want to say last year and he didn't really get much playing time and they let go of Rodney McLeod, which was kind of a questionable move at the time. And Alexander's been awesome all year. He's really been a bright spot. So it, the youngsters on D are a lot of fun to watch, but it's, they don't all shine at the same time. And that's, what's frustrating. So it's again, the talents there. I don't know if it's the scheming or if it's just they're making these wrong decisions at the wrong times or they're undisciplined, but it's just – it does it and from a week-to-week basis. They can never put it together consistently. Last, Frank, last thing for – you want to give us a prediction for Sunday? All right. Yeah, I'll give you a prediction. Uh, let's say – I would say – I'm leaning like around like a 21, 13, 24, 14 kind of game. I see the Falcons winning by a touchdown or a touchdown to 10 points. Uh, I think I want to say spread on the game is like six or seven. So I think, I think uh, the Rams will keep it close. That's the thing. The Rams usually typically keep games at home close. But again, if they get down early somehow because of a turnover or something, they just, there's no chance of them coming back. But, uh, I could see them coming out with something to prove on offense. I think golf and everything, I think they want to come home to the home fans and make some noise. And uh, But you can never expect the Rams. You can never count on the Rams to score more than two touchdowns, let alone one touchdown sometimes. So, yeah, I'll give them about 13, 10 to 14 points, and the Falcons will wind up around like 21, 24. I think they play Seattle next Thursday, right? They do. Oh, that's They'll just win that one. Yeah. <laughs> Let's say that, that's Jeff Fisher's championship right there. So they, they got to get ready for that one. I mean, three in a row. They beat them last year in Seattle with Case Keenum. We beat them week two this year. I was there for that one. It was an awesome game. Uh, but I feel like this is a different time for it. But they'll get up for the game. That's the thing. They'll they're they'll hundred percent. They close the season with Seattle, uh, uh, San Francisco, Arizona, in some order like that. So three division games. So. You never put it past the Rams to like run the table on those three games just because that's what they do. And you know the record would be seven and nine. <laughs> it's a beautiful world, man. Yeah. Yep. That that would be something. Yeah. Right, where can people find you on Twitter? Uh Twitter is at Frank WWE Clowns, same across like Instagram and stuff like that. But yeah, I uh I post some frustrating Rams tweets on Sundays, so for you Falcons fans, if things are going your way, pop my Twitter feed and you and uh, take solace in my uh, my shortcomings. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs>
Craig, we appreciate you calling, man. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. It was nice to uh, vent my frustrations a little bit and uh, let everyone know the true nature of the Los Angeles Rams. All right. Enjoy Sunday, dude. Thanks, you guys, too. Do you love football, basketball, MMA, soccer? Are you ready to get into the action? Check out BetDSI.com. A top-rate business with over 20 years of experience. It's safe, very secure. I play there on occasion. BetDSI has a great football special. Sign up today and get $10 free to try this service. BetDSI is also offering 100% bonus on your first deposit. They have great customer service, fast, and easy payment of winnings. 100% of the football and basketball wagers to choose from. You can also get on the UFC action as Anthony Pettis takes on Max Holloway for the interim title this weekend. You also got Donald Cerrone against Matt Brown. Two absolute savages. Really looking forward to that fight. You could get into all that. Now, obviously, you have other sports this weekend, including college basketball, which is starting to heat up. Bet DSI even has live in-game wager on all over football, basketball, and other major sporting events. You can virtually play everything at BetDSI. Go to BetDSI.com now. That's BetDSI.com. Go there now. Use the promotion code FALCONS10 to get your free wager and start winning today. All right, folks, with us right now, this is the guy who gave me my first running opportunity back in 2012 for TGR Sports. He's someone that I consider one of the nicest Canadians in the world. He's currently running for TGR Wrestling, Awful Announcing, and many other platforms. John Ken, how's it going, my man? I'm doing well. It's good to talk to you guys about my awful Rams. Um, <laughs> I'm already getting started. Trust me. <laughs> <laughs> Look, man, uh, we're Falcon fans, so we, we yeah. kind of know where you're coming from. Uh, yeah. It wasn't that far removed where you know we were in a similar predicament. So, yeah, at least my teams won a Super Bowl, right? That's oh. all I can say. Oh. Okay. oh. Go in there. Claws are out. Okay. That's what I say. That's what I say to people when they say when I complain because it's like um, I've been a fan since the Dickerson years, like 1986, 87. My oldest cousin bought me a Dickerson jersey, and it's like I'm a fan since then, right? So he got traded like two years after I got the jersey, but (laughs) what are you going to do? That's pro (laughs) sports, right? Um, So. The stat that I find amazing is since 1989, they've had four winning seasons since 1989. So it's been pretty brutal. Wow. wow. The last playoff game was against uh, the last playoff game was against your Falcons in the 2004 season. Uh, Michael Vick crushed us. Um, I remember he got like 150 rushing yards or something. Or I, something was, I watched that game in college. I was very drunk. I went out to it. <laughs> uh, yeah. I enjoyed it. Yeah, that was, that was the last. So that was two thousand four, um, and so it's it, you know like I, I know a lot of people. Alan knows I, I I wrote about wrestling on the internet, so I I've I've got a pretty big following and stuff. So I I see fans from different teams like Buffalo will be like, oh, at least you weren't team won a Super Bowl and they haven't made the playoffs in seventeen years. And Cleveland, you know, we know they got a lot of pain. Detroit has one playoff win in the history of the Super Bowl era. So th- there's some worse franchises, but in a lot of ways, in the last 25 years, the Rams, other than you know the four years of greatest show on turf, it's been pretty bad. Okay. I did not realize it was only four, and the the fact that two of those years you your team went to the Super Bowl, that's pretty amazing. Yeah, and they should have won, and I'm still mad that Dick Vermeule cried and retired. Alan knows my rants. Alan has heard my rants many times over the last five years. Um, don't get me started on Super Bowl 36. I'll just <laughs> go on a swearing rant. Yeah. 
Yeah, we see. We try to get Eric Dickerson because you know we got we gotta get listens, but we opted for you, John. Yeah, so. yeah. The 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 Fisher and Dickerson story is hilarious. It, it seems like every day there's something with Jeff Fisher. It's it's weird. Like, do you, do you guys realize they were three and one this year? I'm like, it doesn't even feel like the same season. Yeah, we just spoke with to Frank about that, and look, they beat Arizona, Seattle. Those are pretty huge wins. I know they're known for winning in the division, but it still means something. Yeah, I mean the nine to seven win. They won nine to seven twice this year. It's funny. Like, how does that? <laughs> or nine to six or whatever it was. So yeah, the two craziest stats this year: are the Rams are two and one when they don't score a touchdown, and the Falcons are four and zero when Julio is under forty yards. Those are just <laughs> makes no sense. That's weird. Yeah. yeah wow. So, um, uh, but go ahead. No, I just want to start. Off, I want to ask you about Todd. Early because obviously, look, the supporting cast is not very good. But at the same time, I just watched something with Bucky Brooks and Dan Jeremiah, and they kind of pinpointed Gurley's vision issues, inability to break away from defenders. Do you notice that? Yeah, I don't think he has what he had at the start of last year. Like, it's because, like, all the frustration. Um, I don't watch as much film as, as most guys. Um, I, I, you know, I'm an NFL junkie and everything, but I don't need to watch the game film because I'm not writing about it or anything. But, like, just from watching, you can tell, like, sometimes he misses holes or whatever, or he'll just take the three yards instead of busting out wide. Um, whereas in his, his first ten games last year, like, he was amazing. Like, I I watch him, and, I mean, I watch Marshall Falk, I watch Eric Dickerson, I watch Steven Jackson. So there's been a lot of, you know, good Rams running backs, obviously. And now I hope he doesn't become Steven Jackson, where it's ten years of no playoffs, you know? <laughs> that would suck. Um, so, yeah, I, He's definitely lost some of the, I don't know, vision maybe I guess is the right word. Like he just doesn't seem to find the holes anymore. And granted, there aren't that many holes for him either. Yeah, yeah I just wonder if like if he's not in panic mode, but he just anticipates a linebacker coming at him and he just tries to get the four-yard gain rather than actually open his eyes and see what he could do. Yeah, I think one of the last games, uh, he got like a 25-read run, and it was like that was the longest run of the year. And it's like, really? Like, he's such a good player. And it, it's very frustrating. And, and I mentioned Steven Jackson. I mean, he, he the only year he made the playoffs was his rookie year in 2004. And they still had to fault then, so he wasn't uh, every down back. But but he had such a good career. I think he got 10,000 yards or something. And he never made the playoffs. And I'm like, they wasted such a good potential career because they couldn't do anything else. And it just, I just don't want that for Gurley. And, you know, I I don't know what's going to happen with, with his career and how they're going to go forward because they don't have any receivers yet. And it's been, what, 10 years, I think, since the receivers got 1,000 yards, and that was Torrey Holt back then. So it's been a long time, of long a lot of pain. Oh man, you're not behind the resurgence of Kenny Britt. I've been a fan. <laughs> well, he's a free agent, so so there's on the Rams uh, website that I, I visit, Turf Show Times. They uh, they have a Fisher uh, Fire Fisher shirt, by the way, for sale. It's selling pretty good. Um, um, the, the, there's chatter about like Kenny Britt. Do we resign him or do we let him go? And it's like they paid Tavon Austin ten million a year to do nothing, which is one of the worst contracts I've ever seen, to be honest. And, like, who would have paid him even close to that? Somebody may have paid him six, but not ten. Like, come on. Um, so I don't know what they're going to do with Britt. Like, he's okay like, in small doses as a second receiver maybe, but I don't know. He's nothing special. 
I could see him, though, scoring like a 30-yard jet sweep against his Falcons defense. Aaron, I know you're dreading it already. <laughs> I am. I am. Yeah. It's, it's I, rough. See, I don't know what they're going to do on Sunday because, like you guys said, like they get up for some opponents and then they get down. And at home, sometimes they look really good. And then at other times, they look bad. Like that Miami game they lost was terrible. Like they're 10 nothing all game. They lost 14-10 in like the last four minutes. Like It's one of the worst losses I've ever seen. Carolina, too. Like I watched – most of that Carolina game, yeah. they sh- locked up Cam. Aaron Donald was brutalizing him. It was, and it's that offense with obviously no more Case Keenum at least. Yeah, well, the one game against the Giants, the one that was in England, like I think he threw like three or four picks, but three of them were like off drops, and it's like, so is it the quarterback's fault? They were in the game the whole time, so it's like, it Keenum wasn't that bad. Like they were three and one with him at the start of the year, but I, I'm glad Goff's in there at the same time, but. I don't know. They got so many holes, and, and then you don't have draft picks to build forward. So, what are you going to do now? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not a rosy picture. Um, <laughs> do you feel like with the offense, you know, is it just across the board the the team, you know, at, at all at all the positions where the team just doesn't have enough talent, or you know, I, I look at the Rams' offense and I see, you know, I see Gurley, I see Golf, I see their receivers. I just sort of look at their offensive line as, as sort of a crutch. Do you sort of feel the same way, or do you feel differently? Yeah, it's been bad for a while. Um, that, I think the offensive line is the biggest issue. Uh, the only guy I like is Havenstein. I don't know if Frank mentioned uh, the O-line at all, but like Havenstein's get the right tackle. I think it was second round last year. Uh, Glenn Robinson, uh, Greg Robinson, he's uh, the left tackle that was number two overall. It was terrible. Leads the league in penalties, I believe. Did a little bit better last game. I, I saw Pro Football Focus had him rated really high for once, so that was pretty rare. Um, but I mean, there's there's a lot of issues uh, with O line and most of the other guys. Like they haven't signed a, a good O lineman. I, I can't remember when. So like it's funny because when I think back to that Super Bowl team in '99, they signed Adam Timmerman, who was a, a left guard from the Green Bay Packers from when they won the Super Bowl with Favre and everything. And that was a huge splash, like in free agency. And they had Orlando Pace, it was his third year. And that's the, that was the core of the whole line at that point. But now they just can't seem to sign anyone. And because you know what? They have to pay the defenders because the defenders are really good players, as as you guys know. Like Tremaine Johnson, what's he getting, Alan? Like 15 million right now? Um, yeah, he's franchise tagged. Yeah, he's franchise tag. He's going to get fifteen million this year, and he's going to, you know, you're going to have to pay Aaron Donald about twenty million probably. So <laughs> well deserved. So yeah, yeah. Um, I, I have a buddy that that kind of likes the Rams. He's like, we should have picked Odell Beckham. I'm like, yeah, but you picked Aaron Donald instead, so you can't really complain. Yeah. Aaron, you already mentioned uh, he actually went to Pitt, but. Yeah, I want Aaron. Don't go on your high horse. You love Pitt too much. <laughs> oh, you love Aaron Donald. That's good. Yeah. Did yeah, you I mean, think he'd be this good? I just want to ask you because, like, because I don't watch college that much. I do watch college a fair bit, but I don't watch specific teams necessarily because I live near Toronto, so I don't have a team. But did you think he'd be this good in the NFL? No, I honestly, I, I knew he would be good. I knew he would be a, a very good player. I I didn't think he would be within two years be arguably the best defensive player in the entire league. Like, yeah. I don't I don't think. Anybody can think anybody's ever going to be that good. Um, yeah, so uh, he, he's certainly blown my expectations, and I was as big a fan as, as you're probably going to find out there of his game coming out. So Nice. 
Yeah, I mean, like with JJ Watt, like JJ Watt wasn't number one overall, but I think people knew he'd be really good because he's just gigantic and athletic and stuff. But yeah, with Donald, I guess the rap was he's too short, right? He's only six feet or five yeah. eleven. Yeah, but yeah, he's a lot of fun. Robert Quinn hasn't hasn't uh, been healthy the last couple of years. Two years ago, he was like, or three years ago, he was like eighteen sacks or something. Like he was incredible, but he hasn't been able to be healthy. So that losing Chris Long was kind of a blow, although he's been injured too. But I'm, I see him making plays in New England. Like as soon as New England signs him, I'm like, oh great, here we go. He's going to be good again. <laughs> um, I don't really miss Laurinaitis. Uh, Ogletree's a good middle linebacker, but he does miss some tackles here and there. But uh, Mark Barron, I really like him. He's he's kind of like the third safety, extra, a second linebacker kind of thing. They got a pretty good defense, obviously, but some games they've been ripped, like the the Saints. I think the Saints just kept throwing ten to fifteen hundred passes all all game, like it was just consistent, just destroyed them. So that's the thing; it's such a hard team to figure out. Like they're not consistent at all. Do you think they're still feeling the loss of George Jenkins? I know Jenkins was extremely inconsistent, but he's having a really good year in New York. Yeah, uh, he's he was pretty good last year, I think, because the contract was coming up, so he knew he was going to get paid and everything, so he tried harder. That's just the way sports are. Um, yeah, he's he's having a good year. I think they miss him. I think Tremaine Johnson's a better player overall. Uh, I think I read that they're going to try to have Tremaine cover Julio most of the game, which is smart, but I think you know the Falcons are better, obviously, so we'll see how it goes, but... I think they definitely missed Jenkins to a degree, but they couldn't afford him, like I said, because yeah. they know that they're going to have to pay uh, Donald and Ogletree and Quinn. Quinn got paid, I believe. So if you pay five or six defenders over $10 million, and they, but the stupid thing is paying Tavon Austin $10 million, which was totally unnecessary. I just One of the worst contracts I've ever seen. <laughs> I look at the defense line. You obviously Quinn and Don Bell, so you got Brockers, Easley. William yeah. Hayes, like, this is a youth that should, like, take over games, but it hasn't really happened. They do pretty good, but against the run, they're, like, I think teams just double-team Donald, and it's, like, the rest are are good. Like, Brockers is okay, but he's not a difference maker. Like, feels like you could probably stick an average guy in there, and he'd be just as good. Uh, but, you know, they've done well in the draft in terms of defense, but in the offense, they've done terrible. And it's like the same Jeff Fisher, Les Need regime just got a contract extension after five years of this. So what's going on? I don't know. Well, I, I you know, maybe there's a little bit of good news for you, John. Um, it doesn't sound like Julio Jones is going to play this week. Uh, oh, really? Yeah, the team hasn't closed the door on it, but knowing the way they sort of talk about injury news – would you agree, Alan? It, it doesn't seem unlikely that he's going to play. It's sketchy, but Quinn keeps saying they're optimistic. So, look, given that Sydney was most likely going to be out, I think they want to have at least one big wide receiver in there, regardless if Julio can even break or not in his routes. Okay. Yeah, so, I mean, losing, I Jeff, lo- yeah. Lose, sorry. Sorry, losing Julio, I mean, makes helps the Rams, obviously, keeping keeping it close. Like, I think the Rams could win. I don't, I'm not going to pick them to win, but I don't know what they're going to do from week to week. I think the big, big issue, though, is that Jake Matthews is likely out. And like and we've been talking about, him against Quinn would have been a good matchup. Now, Tom Compton in there who struggled against Holly, I think that's the big concern because Quinn could still take over games. You saw, I saw him against Seattle earlier, and, man, he stripped Russell Wilson pretty easily. Yeah, I, I, the way to beat the Rams, like if you, if you can complete the short passes and the intermediate passes, then 
they're vulnerable to those. I think if you throw deep, they're they're pretty good at defending those. Like I don't remember getting beat deep very often, but the middle the middle uh, like crossing routes they get killed on those all the time. So, but you got to get the ball out quick because, like you said, Quinn and, and and Donald and those guys can bring the pressure big time. So, I asked Frank Frank about this. Are you a fan of Greg Williams's blitz game, or are you kind of sick of him? I mean, it's, not, it's nothing special. I think the personnel's good. I think, I think the play calling is average. Um, it doesn't seem like he blitzes more than most teams, like because the D line's good, so you don't have to blitz as much. But I don't know, like the games where they win nine seven, it's like, yeah, great job defense. And then how do you give up forty points to New Orleans? You know, shouldn't happen, right? So I don't know. It's tough. It, it's funny because. Like when I'll when I'll text Frank Frank during games, I'll be like, they'll get a drive early on and they'll score seven nothing, and it's like we'll text each other, great drive, and then I'll text them back. I'm like, that was probably the best drive of the game. We're gonna score ten the whole game. <laughs> so <laughs> that, that's kind of what you expect. It's it's been like that for so many years now. Now I, I do want to ask you about the quarterback, uh, young Jerry Goff. Uh, what what have you been your thoughts on? his progress through these first couple of starts and, and sort of the um, expectations for the rest of the season. Yeah. The, the thing is, I think people are hard on him because it's like, okay, if you pick number one, you got to start. But if you're, if you're a junior, what is he? 21 years old, I believe uh, when he, when he got drafted. So, I mean, that's pretty young. I don't really mind him sitting on the bench for half a year. Uh, and and then the I know the O line's really bad, so it's like they're trying to baby him. Like it's like okay, get the ball up quickly. So he's throwing a lot of short passes. What I'd like to see is see him throw deep more and throw more more down the field because I know Hard Knocks doesn't necessarily uh, reflect the team exactly, but he was making a lot of pretty throws in that show, especially like you know back corner, like you know corner routes and stuff like that. That's what Kurt Warner loved doing to Tory Holt. The, the post and then and then go to the corner, but I, I miss those days. <laughs> um, and I just kind of wish they let golf like unleash. Like tor- like Tavon Austin is one of the fastest guys in the league, and he never runs deep routes. <laughs> it's like, what's the point of having him? Like all he does is run reverses and and stupid slants or whatever. And they throw to Brit and Quick more downfield, and they're not even fast. They're just tall. So it's like if you're, but they don't throw downfield to golf. So. So to answer your question, like I would like to see them uh, gun it down the field a little bit more and try to try to push it, and because it's like okay, if you throw an interception on a forty-yard deep ball, who cares? It's like a punt, right? So at least wing it. What do you have to lose, right? That's the Eli Manning special. <laughs> at least they'll do it. I don't mind it. Yeah, I think this is the week where I want to see Goff really express himself because this. This is Falcons defense we've been talking for weeks, and it's a pretty dismal unit. And if the Rams can't open it up here, I don't think you're going to see it for the rest of the season, given the rest of the schedule. Maybe against San Fran, but San Fran, I don't even know if they're a professional football team at this point, so who knows. But I think this week you want to see what he can do, try to get quick, quick and break going. And even Lance Kendricks, I know you look bad hands and all, but tight ends. Been okay. Yeah, he, yeah. He, tight ends eat up the Falcons a lot every week, it seems to be. Yeah, John, we have a running joke. Uh, if you're in a slump or you need a, a spark, if you as long as you play the Falcons, you'll get that spark. So uh, yeah. if you if you're expecting, you know, this might be a big girly game. This might be, you know, whoever's in 
been disappointing you this season, there's a decent chance that they'll go off against the Falcons this weekend. Well, that's what I thought the Saints were going to be, right? And the Rams did nothing against them. So, uh, granted, this is a home game, so maybe it'll be more comfortable. Like, Gurley hasn't gone off once at all this year, like, like Andre Yard rushing game. So, um, like, I, I think with the Falcons, like, I don't watch every game like you guys, but, I, you know, I watch them for a bit. I watch everything in the NFL. And at least Vic Beasley seems like he's he's a good player, right? Like he's he's going to be something special, maybe. Yeah, him and Havenstein should be a good matchup. Yeah, because I see Beasley, Beasley making a lot of plays, and I know you guys lost Trufant. That kind of sucks, but um, hopefully, hopefully for your sake, they get in the playoffs and everything like that. I I picked Tampa to make the playoffs before the year. That was my my you know bad team to make the playoffs pick this year. So. I'm, I'm kind of a better, too, in terms of uh, over-under win totals and stuff, and Tampa was one of the ones I, I'm going to get right, so that's good. Okay. NFC is pretty hectic. Like, who knows with Washington and all that. Yeah. Aaron, Aaron Schultz probably mentioned, so you have Beasley against Havistan, but then you also have the White Freeney against Greg Robinson. Yes, that's going to be, you know... <laughs> Havenstein might have a shot against Beasley uh, just because so how small Beasley is. is sort of like if you can get your hands on him to a certain extent, you can sort of slow him down. Uh, but uh, there's no chance that Greg Robinson is getting his hands on Dwight Freeney, I can tell well, you. Right well, now. they benched Robinson two weeks ago, and then last week I swear he had a good game. So we'll see. Maybe it woke him up. Physically, he's got the tools. Yeah. Just what, how many what, percent of, what percent of plays does uh, Freeney play? Like, what percent of plays is he on the field? It went up last week. I don't remember what the exact number is. It's going to go up now because uh, Adrian Claiborne, who's probably the other yeah. really good best rusher, isn't yeah. healthy. I think, it, so I, I, I think for the season, it's like around 35% or something like that. But you'll see him in the nickel packages yeah. with Beasley. Like, what, I the, think it'll be I know, this week. Yeah, the Rams, I know, are more run-oriented teams. But honestly, on third downs, you'll see Freeney. I know Robert Quinn loves Freeney because, like, when he got drafted, and I remember seeing interviews with him, they'd show highlights of Freeney and him, and he copied Freeney's, like, style. You know, like the two two hands down on the ground kind of thing that he did with the Colts all the time. He probably still does it, but he's, he's like a Freeney clone. He loves Freeney. I'm curious. Obviously, it's like Julio's Julio, but what's the other thing that you would say that makes you fear the Falcons? Well, I think the run game is going to destroy the Rams because the Rams' run defense has been very consistent. Like, I think Mark Ingram had, like, 180 yards or something, and he's pretty good, but I think you guys have better running backs. Um, so, I mean, if both guys get going, I think that's going to be scary for the Rams. Uh, that's a, that's the best way to attack the Rams in a lot of ways just because then they, they kind of stack the run a little bit and then they'll maybe run blitz a bit more and then they'll open the passing lanes. Uh, I would throw at anybody other than Tremaine. Um, Tremaine Johnson's good. He's not going to completely shut down Julio if Julio plays, but he'll do a good job. Uh, so I think the Taylor Gabriel guy, man, where did he come from? He's coming out. Of, he's doing well, huh? He was lost in Cleveland for a couple of years. <laughs> <laughs> the best known as Cleveland, yeah. yeah. He's doing yeah. well. Yeah, he scored five touchdowns in the last five games. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. And given that the Rams kind of struggle on screens, I could see them using it because the screens killed Arizona a few weeks ago. Do you guys miss your buddy, Ruddy White? Oh, that's a touchy subject uh, with Aaron. A lot of Roddy White slander. Too much on this podcast. Let's see it. Uh-oh. it hurt the hurt my feelings. Uh, well, I mean, in his prime, he was great. Yeah, he was oh. great. He was amazing. 
But yeah, just last year he couldn't move, and then he was kind of going off on Kyle Shannon, and now Kyle Shane's besides Josh McDowell's probably the most uh, interest. Like I think teams are probably gonna go after him if they can't get. As I would say, Shannon's the second biggest option. Yeah, it it reminds me of like Bruce and Holt when they were near the end, but they, Bruce went to San Fran and Holt went to Jacksonville, so I didn't really get to see them that bad. But he, it's the worst when your favorite guys or your longtime guys are there, and they're just not the same anymore. But you know, you, you can't admit it, you know. But oh well. Yeah, but I, I, I'm happy Andre for the Johnson. Falcons' success. Pardon me. No, I say it happened with Andre Johnson, but then he got out just in time. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. That, that's something. That's the hardest thing for a lot of players, right? Or a lot of teams, they don't want to let guys go and stuff. Except the Patriots. They seem to let guys go at the right time every time. <laughs> yeah, it seems that way. Or too soon it's... in some cases. Yeah. Yeah, I always say with older receivers, like not everyone could be Steve Smith or Larry Fitzgerald. I think those two set the bar pretty high. Yeah, Larry's stats are pretty impressive. Like, uh, I, I mean, I'm very... I'm very much Holt and Bruce should be in the Hall of Fame and everything like that, but I think Larry Fitzgerald's obviously a Hall of Famer. Like, but you know, I still say Holt and Bruce should be in at some point. I would put them and Warner in together. <laughs> well, if you could string a highlight tape of all of Isaac Bruce's games against the Falcons, uh, yeah, he killed know, them. Even when yeah. the Rams were ba- like, I remember in the in the mid '90s when the Rams were bad, like yeah. he was still putting up like 150 yard games against the Falcons. It was ridiculous. Yeah, he was he was picked in '94 in the second round, and then they moved to St. Louis in '95. And I had an Isaac Bruce jersey uh, in the old old blue and yellow uh, days, so I still have it, but it obviously doesn't fit me. But he he was he was my guy. I loved Isaac Bruce, and total opposite of a lot of receivers today. Like him and Holt never said or did anything to stand out, and I think maybe that hurts them in the Hall of Fame in a lot of ways because. Uh, Bruce got a game-winning touchdown when they won the Super Bowl. Like if the game was tied, the two-minute warning happened, and he caught an eight-year touchdown pass. And it's like, how is that not celebrating more as one of the best plays in the Super Bowl because the game was tied? So, anyway, the tackle happened, so that's all people talk about. That was in the Georgia Dome, by the way. Yeah. So I remember that because I went to WrestleMania. Yeah, I went to WrestleMania 27, and I was like, "This is the building the Rams won the Super Bowl." I was so happy. <laughs> Oh, I forgot you because we asked show, Frank. Though. Yeah, <laughs> I asked Frank about because I know he was there. So yeah, you were at the Georgia Zone. Did, did, obviously, the show wasn't good, but did you like the venue? It or was nice a nice special. setup. It was the only time I've ever been to Atlanta, and yeah, it was a nice setup because they had that building, and then the, the convention center was right there, and then the the NBA, st- the Hawks Stadium was right there. So. It was everything was right there in a nice area of downtown kind of thing. So it was a nice setup because you could use the same parking lot for everything. So that was good. The Rams Stadium in St. Louis was was terrible. I went to one game with Frank uh, two years ago, and I remember after the game we're outside and like meeting the players and stuff. And this was a typical Rams game. They played San Fran on a Monday night. And it was like fourteen to three, and then they blew the game like twenty three seventeen. Kaepernick had like three touchdowns. And after the game, the players walk out, and Janoris Jenkins got burned on a double move by, I don't know who it was. I think it was Crabtree. I remember that game. I think it was Crabtree, yeah. And then Frank goes to Jenkins and is like, good game. And I'm like, don't lie to them, man. (laughs) (laughs) But what are you going to do? And then I I asked Bradford to sign my knee brace, even though I don't have a knee brace, but he was out with a torn ACL. (laughs) He did not like that comment. (laughs) 
cold blooded grandfather. <laughs> this is what happens, man. You lose for ten years in a row, you become cold blooded. <laughs> all these oh, all these people that, that that like the Patriots. All these people that like the Patriots and Belichick when they retire, I hope they lose for twenty years. <laughs> there you go. You get spiteful in your old age. Hey man, it's been it's been thirteen years, and then the stretch from ninety to ninety eight was was the, they were the worst team in the league. Them and the and the Bengals. And I was telling Alan this. Do you know what the five years before Fisher the record was? Fifteen and sixty five combined. Five years. So it's been a bad ten years, man. Yes. It was, it was uh, Spagnuolo <laughs> and Scott Linehan, right? Yeah, those are the two coaches. Yeah, they had a one-win team, they had a two-win team, and then they had like a six-win, and yeah, something like that. Like it was really bad. And I mean, I, I'm my other sports teams lately, like the Raptors made the final four, the Blue Jays made the final four in back-to-back years. But man, I, I like the Rams more than anything. So I, I need them to be good at some point in my in the next few years. I think. See, this is good though because you have Falcon fans falling off the cliff that they haven't made the playoffs in three years. Like <laughs> now, you can listen to this. <laughs> I thought they should have won the Super Bowl that year, man. That, that fourth down conversion—if you get that, you win the Super Bowl. I tell you, well, Navarro Bowman. I like him, but he's not very light to land. He, he ruins Falcon dreams. That's what he does. He's had a pick six against us the next year to, to seal a win in that game. He he basically single-handedly shut down our offense last year. It's Navarro Bowman's been killing us for years. He's a good player, yeah. Um, and I just remember the play calling at that time, too, wasn't very good. But that's what are you going to do, right? Yeah. Dirk Cutter, that's, that's the man in Tampa, though, right now. Oh, yeah. He's going to win you some money. Yeah, the over-under win total. I think they're already over. I think it was six and a half, and they're at seven, so I have to check that. That's going. John, last day, you want to give us a prediction for Sunday? Pain. Um, no, sorry. <laughs> that's, that's Mr. T and Rock. Um, um, I'll probably pick the Falcons. I, I think it might be close. I, I'll probably say like 23-17. I don't know how the Rams will get 17, but maybe they'll defense for something. Um, maybe Gurley will have a decent game, like you guys said. But I think you guys, uh, the Falcons, are more, they're pretty focused, and I think they know it's a winnable game. And the the crowd in L.A. is not very loud, especially at this point of the year. I don't know if you guys watched earlier in the year, but they had a loud noise in, in L.A. at the start of the year. But I think it's going to be quiet, and it's probably going to be a lot of empty seats. So I guess twenty three seventeen Atlanta sounds good. Okay. Where can people find you on Twitter and anything else you want to plug? You guys picking Atlanta, too? Oh, yeah. We'll get to there, but yeah. There wasn't much of a dispute. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's possible they could lose, but I wouldn't pick the Rams, to be honest. I, I told we'll a friend... We'll say Julio's that, out, though. Anything's possible. Yeah. He's such a difference maker. Oh, the spread is six and a half, so I guess I'm picking the Rams to cover with that score. See? 23-17. Um, yeah, follow me on Twitter, at John Report. I usually tweet about wrestling 90% of the time. I don't tweet much during NFL games, because I find myself... I don't know, regretting it if I do. <laughs> um, since I write about wrestling, I just kind of write about wrestling uh, and tweet about that usually. But I'll tweet random funny stuff once in a while or comment on Mick Jagger having a kid when he's 73 years old and stuff like that. Uh, um, and uh, my website, tjwrestling.net, just write about wrestling. I review every uh, most WWE shows. we got a lot of writers and news and all that kind of stuff. And at the comeback.com and awful announcing also. So 
that's what I'm doing. And check my Facebook if you're on there. Uh, there's a lot of hijinks, as Alan knows, all the time. What would have been great was if we had you on like a month ago, you could have promoted all your Canadian tweets after the election. Oh, yeah, thankful for not being in America, for sure. <laughs> hey, man, at least you guys give me the NFL, so that's that's all I like. People ask me about the Canadian Football League all the time. Let me get this out of the way. And I'm like, do you watch the Arena League? I'm like, people are like, no. I'm like, well, it's the same thing, man. <laughs> you know, I, I watch the best product. I don't want to watch guys that got cut by the Cleveland Browns three years ago. Yeah. No offense to them. It's nice, though, that like the CFL exists because it's been around for like 100 years, and these guys can make a living. You know, it's not great money, but people do watch it. So what else are you going to do in Saskatchewan? Fair yeah. Enough. You can't dispute that. <laughs> John, it was a pleasure having you on. Hopefully they somehow play next year, maybe in the playoffs. Who knows? But uh, <laughs> yeah. we, we, could, we could always dream. Yeah, Absolutely. good luck to your Falcons. I, I, you know, Alan, you're you're a good friend of mine. I always root for them to be successful and all that. So I hope I hope they find a way to keep going. The defense is to pick up a little bit, but I think they're on the right track. Yeah, it's definitely been a fun year. And uh, just like you though, Aaron, you've always been uh, unlike most of us. We are a pro Stephen Jackson crowd here. I love Stephen Jackson. Absolutely. Yeah, and um, by the way, your coach looks like Stone Cold Steve Austin. So <laughs> that's a, well. a running joke. Yeah, we yeah. we know <laughs> Stone Cold Dan Quinn. Yeah. All right, thanks. Appreciate job, man. Have thanks, a good night. All right, Alan, you want to give our predictions? Yeah, we can do that. Uh, uh, See, so yeah, what predictions? Oh, man, it's so hard because I feel like we should give. Uh, with Julio and a non-Julio one, but I'm, I'm actually going to say Julio plays this weekend. Don't think he's 100% at all. I think he'll be lucky to get four catches, and they're going to limit his snaps quite heavily, but I do think he'll play. I don't think he's going to play. I think Dan Quinn is saying, you know, we're optimistic and we're hopeful just so the Rams have to prepare for him. I think they already know they're shutting him down. Um, I am going to pick the Falcons to win, however, even though I do think they're going to be pretty beat up. I think the injuries they face is probably going to make it a low-scoring game. So we will be uh, very nervous. So, But I think the Falcons will probably win it 20-16. to 16. Okay, I'm going to go 23-16. I think they should heavily feature Freeman Coleman this game. Maybe Freeman gets 20 carries. I hope Shanahan, I assume he's going to game plan pretty heavily for this and use a lot of screens and delays. One thing I noticed with the Rams, and particularly Donald, Donald, obviously, human freight train, always trying to penetrate. Teams do have success running those delays or even draws, and they go up the middle, and Donald's completely away from the play. And I could see them trying to take advantage of that. And Freeman should be at the forefront. Yes. I, I I am confident that our coaching staff will not come out with a bad game plan, uh, even with all the injuries that we're dealing with. I do think we'll we'll see a heavy dose of the running game. I think we'll see a lot of quick throws, two tight end sets, screens, those sorts of things to manufacture offense, possess the ball, um, and, and sort of get Matt Ryan going in the rhythm, use some no huddle, tire out those pass rushers. Um you know, it hasn't been usual that I can feel confident that the Falcons will generate a good game plan. Um, but I do feel somewhat confident. Uh, you, you know, you mentioned the stat, you know, 4-0 in games where Julio's going to have under 40 yards because I don't think Julio's going to play. I think, you know, hopefully we can get that record to 5-0. and 
The great Mohammed Sanu did play in all those games, might I add. What, he had like three catches for 25 yards in those games? Uh, no, against Arizona, he had one of his better games. And against Green Bay, he only had the game when he touched on. Mm. Mm. Justin Hardy, big game this week. Yeah, and, and oh man, that block he had on Eric Berry was pretty sweet. It was eclectic. I, I couldn't think of a word. I just said the first thing that popped in my head. Michael Jenkins-esque. <laughs> <laughs> Where can people find you, Aaron? I am at Falkfans on Twitter. I am at Alan underscore Stark. That's A double A-double-E-N underscore S-T-R-K. Okay. Um, I've been coughing a lot today. Yes, apparently you got Ebola. Um, (laughs) Guys, uh, we will be back on Monday morning. We will record our rapid reaction podcast Sunday evening after the Falcons game. Hopefully it will be a... uh, a lot of praise for the Falcons and, and, and their tough, scrappy win over the lowly Rams. Um, but uh, you guys can look forward to that. And then we'll be back next week with uh, a, probably, I think we're, right now we're planning on having a, a, a Rams guest again to talk with us on uh, Tuesday's show um, to sort of recap this game. And, and hopefully we will be talking about how dominant the Falcons were and as opposed to the surprising upstart Rams. So that's what you guys can look forward to next week. Cool. All right. Everyone, enjoy your weekend, and we'll be back on Monday morning. You are Locked On Falcons, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What you doing? Ran out of space on my phone, so I'm deleting some stuff. Bye, singing dog. Bye, goal. I pronounce you. Bye, wedding ceremony. Stop. At MetroPCS, you get two free phones with twice as much memory. Really? Don't say bye to your memories. Switch to MetroPCS and get two free LG K20 Plus phones with 32 gigs when you switch two lines. MetroPCS. Wireless. Figure it out. Coverage not available in some areas. Sales tax not included in phone price. Excludes numbers on the T-Mobile network. See store for details and terms and conditions.